Today is our fourth message in our series entitled The Songs of Christmas. So moved by the reading of God's word. God's word to us. In the first and second chapter, the Gospel of Luke, there are four sections of poetry songs that beautifully tell the true meaning of Christmas. Today is our fourth message in our series entitled The Songs of Christmas. We've already read the shepherd's song of peace, Mary's song of trust, and Simeon's song of hope. And today in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, we're going to read Zechariah's song of faith. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your beautiful presence. Emmanuel, God with us. Your word proclaims that where you are is holy. We are on holy ground for you are Emmanuel, God with us. You are present with us. One of the many miracles of Christmas. I pray Gracious Father in heaven, for the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, what no preacher can do, but only what, you, what he can do, and that's to make your love known to each and every person, to awaken the truth, the true meaning of this season we call Christmas. Only the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can awaken this truth deep within the hearts of everyone here today. And so I pray the Holy Spirit would communicate your eternal truths through your servant today. That through his power, hearts would be open, minds would be open, faith would come alive. Faith, faith in the Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone says, amen. The context of Zechariah's song starts way back in the Old Testament book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah's song is prophesied in the very last chapter, the very last book in the Old Testament, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, are the final words of the Old Testament. Here's what they say. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25, another Old Testament um, book says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Scripture tells us that God is not slow to fulfill his promises. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. But these final words, these final words of Malachi are promised, are a promise that that God gave before going silent for 400 years. The Old Testament fades out with these words of hope, with these words of a promise, an encouragement to God's people to hold on to their faith and to keep living faithfully as you wait for the promised Messiah to come. It's a long time for those who have been waiting. Generations come and and generations go. In that 400 years, the area of Judea had been under the control of four different ruling um, superpowers. 400 years, the people of God remained in darkness, hearing nothing, absolutely nothing from God. Can you imagine 400 years of silence, hearing nothing from God? This is the context that our text sits in. And maybe you're here today and you've been waiting 
waiting a long time for, for God to answer a specific prayer, waiting for a spiritual breakthrough for a spouse, a child. You're standing on God's promise, but God is silent. It doesn't appear that God is talking. You're wondering, God, do you hear me? God, do you hear me? We live in a culture that doesn't know how to wait. Through advancements in technology, we've cut down wait time, have made things more efficient and convenient, or we think. We can order our groceries online, drive to the grocery store, and and a friendly associate greets greets you and and loads your groceries in, in the trunk of your car. How many's used that service? A few. We order our caramel coffee on an app that's on our phones and stop by Starbucks drive through window on the way to work to pick it up. And now there is Amazon Prime that promises same day delivery. The message is clear. Waiting is not good. Waiting, in fact, is bad. Who wants to wait? We don't like to wait. If we're honest with ourselves, waiting makes us impatient. We get impatient if our fast um, speed internet is not fast enough. We get impatient and frustrated if our order at the fast food restaurant is taking one minute, just one minute, too long. And if we're honest with ourselves, we get impatient with God. We get impatient with God. We, we get frustrated with God. Even though technology has reduced our wait time, technology cannot eliminate certain things we're waiting for. Like a loved one to come to faith in Jesus. Or the healing of a heart grieving the loss of a, of a loved one. That's a journey that technology cannot help with. Technology cannot speed up the second coming of Christ. Today we celebrate and remember the first coming of Christ. And the Bible prophesies about this wonderful first coming of Christ. And and Christmas is that time of the year when we remember and celebrate Christ's first coming. But the Bible also prophesies and speaks Jesus himself spoke of his second coming. Technology cannot speed up the second coming of Christ. And if we're completely, I mean, if we're completely honest with ourselves, technology cannot eliminate the waiting Western New Yorkers have been enduring as they wait for the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl. Technology cannot help. Lord, forgive me. That was the flesh speaking, not the spirit of God. There's a wonderful promise in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even when it seems God is not speaking, you can be assured as you wait on the Lord, God is at work. In God's silence, God is working deep in your heart, deep in my heart. He's working deep in your heart, renewing your strength spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Zechariah knows something about waiting. We're introduced to him and his wife in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. 
Zechariah was a priest, not a high priest, and Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron, the very first priest. Let's continue reading verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What a wonderful testimony. Growing up, I would share with our kids, there's nothing greater in this life than a good name, than a blameless name. Like Mary, they were righteous before God. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth wanted children. They wanted children. They wanted to fulfill God's command to be fruitful and to replenish the earth. But they were unable. Elizabeth was unable to. And to add to the impossibility of bearing children, both were elderly, advanced in years, the scripture tells us. Well beyond their childbearing years, they they have accepted the biological reality that it would be impossible. Now, this was a big deal both culturally And religiously, because in their day, having children was essential for carrying on the family name, and the family name was very significant. But it was also um, very essential in preserving and continuing God's covenant, God's promise He He made with Abraham, with with Israel through through Abraham. Remember, Father Abraham, many sons, many sons say, Father Abraham. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You guys are good. Barrenness or infertility was regarded as a tragedy, a disgrace, and even a sign of God's punishment. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth were stigmatized and likely somewhat estranged from their community because of this. It was a really, really big deal not to be able to have children. Now, before I go any further, names was a huge deal in the Jewish culture. I feel like it's coming back a little bit in in our culture today. Zechariah means God remembers. If you're taking notes, write this down. God remembers. Elizabeth means God keeps his promises. Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers every promise He's ever made every promise spoken by the prophets that he inspired, he remembers. Elizabeth means God keeps his promises. Tuck this away. A man who has given up on the desire of his heart, who asked God so many times that his wife would conceive, an elderly man who has served God faithfully, even though God has withheld something he really, really desired, he really, really wanted, his, his name is God remembered. God remembered. And he's married to a woman named God keeps his promises. Hide these truths about God in your hearts. Let's continue reading verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Let's just pause for just a moment here. Just to put this in perspective, there were said to be as many as 20,000 priests in the time of Jesus. All priests served in the temple for two one-week periods each year. There were 24 shifts. During the time of Zechariah's annual ministry, he was chosen, our text reveals, by lot to serve in the greatest ministry of his priestly career. He was chosen to go into the temple of the Lord, the holy place, and burn incense. We see this in reading verse 9. They used the lot system, just to give you a little background, they used the lot system to determine which priest would serve when and where in the temple. The lot to serve in the holy place, think about this, the lot to serve in the holy place might fall to a priest only once in his life. Maybe never. This was a once and a lifetime opportunity to serve in the temple and offer the incense to the Lord. 
in the holy place. And incense and offering incense to the Lord is a beautiful picture of God's people praying. God's people praying. The prayers of God's people are precious. In front of the altar of incense was a huge, thick curtain. And behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where no man could enter except the high priest, and that only on the Day of Atonement. The Holy of Holies represented the place where God's presence dwelt on earth before it departed the temple. This is the same curtain mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 51, when Jesus took his last breath on the cross and yielded up his spirit to God the Father, it says, then behold, the veil, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Church, Christmas is a holy God coming to us to remove the curtain that separates you and me from his presence, to provide a way for us to come into his holy presence, to have a personal relationship with him. Christmas is God giving us the gift of his presence. Emmanuel, God with us. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Awaken this truth, the beauty of this truth, deep within our hearts, deep within our spirit. The beauty, the meaning, the depth, the honor, the privilege to be given the gift of of his presence. Emmanuel, God with us, a holy God. Christmas is, is God. Leaving the beauty and the splendor and the perfection of, of heaven and, and stepping into our broken world, stepping into our messy lives, into our broken lives to give us the gift of his presence. Now the choosing of Zechariah to burn incense did, did not happen by chance. It's all part of, of God's Redemptive plan. When Zechariah was ministering in the temple, burning incense to the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. God is at work. Saying, look at verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Here, Zechariah is all by himself in the holy place. Offering incense to the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And and when he saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. These words, do not be afraid. We see them several times in the Christmas narrative. Do not be afraid. Zachariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. You find the Holy Spirit all over the Christmas narrative as well. How we need the Holy Spirit the third person of the Godhead in this life, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Sound familiar? And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Sound familiar? And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So after all these years of waiting, the angel tells Zechariah that his wife is going to have a son and that his name will be John. Now I can guarantee you, 
Zechariah, the dedicated and faithful Jewish priest that he was, knew these were the exact words used at the end of Malachi, the very last time God spoke in the Old Testament. The message is clear that his son John would be um, the one who fulfills the prophecy of Malachi. He would be the one who would go in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the hearts of people for Israel's savior. Let's look at Zechariah's response in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in, in years. Zechariah is skeptical. He wants a sign. I mean, he's in the holy place. A one-in-a-lifetime opportunity to minister to the Lord in the holy place. An angel appears to him, and he's skeptical. He, he wants a sign. He doubted God. He doubted his promise. I can't point my finger at him. Uh, well, maybe you can and say, shame, shame, shame. I've done the same thing. I've doubted God. God, give me a, a sign. Was this a crisis of faith? or unbelief or reality of his humanity for we see dimly through the glass look at verse 19 and 20 and the angel answered and said to him I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings but behold you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. God disciplined Zechariah. That's what a good father does. He disciplines in a very loving, merciful, purposeful way. He had a divine purpose. God is not some mean father up in heaven. No. Everything he does is motivated out of who he is, love. When he disciplines, he's loving you. When he disciplines, he's loving me. He is love. He never stops being love. Everything he does, he does out of love, motivated by who he is. The Bible says God is love. And so he disciplines Zechariah for, for a divine purpose, for a divine purpose. God's redemptive plan has already been set in motion, and this is all part of his plan. And so he, he couldn't say anything. Wow, we're going to finally have a baby. The excitement, the joy. But he couldn't say anything. He had to wait longer. How many like waiting? He had to wait longer before he could say anything. Nine months and eight days longer before he could say anything. Jump down to verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. This was a big deal. Remember, man, it was not a good thing if you weren't uh, multiplying, having children. Man, they're all rejoicing. They're celebrating with Elizabeth. Eight days later, they bring the baby boy to be circumcised and to name him. Look at verse 59. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called, 
And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying his name is John. So they all marveled. Remember, back in those days, names were important. John's name means God is gracious. God is gracious. Verse 64 says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loose and he spoke praising God. Zechariah praised God in a, in a beautiful song filled with references to Israel's history. His words declared the coming of the Lord's salvation foreshadowed in the birth of John. Please follow along as I read verses 67 through 79. Now his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, father Abraham and many sons. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, this is quite striking when you realize that of the four gospel writers, only one of them is a Gentile, and it's Luke. And here, the Gentile writer Luke does not set aside the emphasis and and central features of the Old Testament story, but rather he brings them to the forefront. It begs us to ask the question, why? Because we can't really understand Christ without the Old Testament. And we can't understand the Old Testament without Christ. Here's a big truth today as we celebrate Christmas. The good news of Jesus Christ is the key to understanding the whole Bible. One of the reasons why I love the gospel project. And and next week we're going to start a whole new um, chapter, a whole new section. I encourage you to join the journey through the gospel project. The Bible is a book about Jesus. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we lose our our way around. We lose our way around the Bible. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we just lose our ways, period. In the Old Testament, Jesus is prophesied about. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus is preached, powerfully preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, Jesus is expected. He's expected. His his second coming is expected. When Zacharias sings like he sings, it is because of all the history that precedes this song that we read in our text today. For example, in the Old Testament, we know that there was a man named Moses. God called Moses to lead God's people who were held captive, slaves, out of Egypt. They they crossed the Red Sea, they come into the Promised Land, but they disobey God. They begin to doubt his word and rebel against him. Things begin to collapse from the inside. It always starts from the inside and goes out to the outside. 
God must bring judgment to his people, motivated by his love and mercy. He's a just God. He has to bring judgment. The Babylonians come and destroy Jerusalem and take captive their sons and daughters. I can't even imagine what that moment must have been like in Israel's history. God overseeing the events of history eventually topples the Babylonian empire and tells his people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. That's the story of Nehemiah. Then when you read the minor prophets, minor because they are shorter books, not because they're less important. Minor prophets like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. And those prophecies are written to the people of God. To the people of God, post everything I just mentioned, reminding them that God is active in history. God will come to you. Reminding them God will come to you. How many are waiting for God to come to you? By the 4th century BC, it was now the turn of the Greeks and Alexander the Great comes on the scene and begins to rule. And the Jews live for a long period of time under the domination of a culture that is foreign to them. It is Greek in its religion. It is Greek in its cultural expressions. And and, and it challenges God's people to trust in God's promise. Yet by the grace of God, I'm so grateful for the grace of God, they still hang on to the hope that God will come and redeem his people, Israel. Somehow the Messiah will come. Somehow this person, this forerunner that is mentioned in Malachi will appear on the stage of history. And and then it's the Romans' turn. It just doesn't stop. The priests of God and the readers of the Old Testament say to the remnant of the people of God, that faithful remnant of the people of God, hang on. How many are waiting? How many are waiting? Hang on. Hang on. As they remember Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah chapter 9 in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That will be truly realized. This last part of that prophecy will be truly realized at the second coming of Christ when he establishes his earthly kingdom. Amen. As he rules and reigns, King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you anticipating? Are you excited about that that day? Zechariah praises like he praises because of all the history that precedes this beautiful song. He's making the connection. Faith became sight. He sees. Faith becomes sight. But didn't Jesus say to Thomas, (laughs) more blessed are those who have faith but who do not see? Do you see? Has your spiritual eyes been opened? The Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes. He opens the eyes of our heart because God desires that none would perish but all would come to repentance. All would experience this incredible gift of eternal life that he offers to us. He's making the connection. Faith becomes sight. We can't really understand Christ, church, without the Old Testament. And we can't understand the Old Testament without Christ. The good news of of Jesus, as I shared moments ago, is the key to understanding the whole Bible. From cover to cover. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, makes the connection and breaks forth into a beautiful song of praise. Remember, the scripture says he's full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has helped him make the connection. Jesus with the old and old with Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he's working in yours today. He's working in your life. He's working in my life. 
I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. It's the grace of God. He sends to us the Holy Spirit, and he's working right now in your life. He's working in my life, helping us make the connection. What I find remarkable in this story is after naming his son, Zacharias speaks first about Jesus. He doesn't speak first about John. Now let's think about this. After all these years of waiting to have a child, God blesses Zachariah with a son. And instead of first talking about John, he talks about Jesus. I have three sons. I was so excited to tell everyone. People I didn't even know. Hey, I have a son. Oh, that's nice. I was so excited. But Zechariah focuses, his focus is first on the prophecy of the unborn Jesus. The prophetic voice of the Lord had been silent for 400 years. Now God breaks his silence and he speaks through Gabriel. He speaks through Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 and 42. He speaks through Mary. And we saw last week, he breaks his silence and and he speaks through Simeon. And now today, God breaks his silence and, and and he speaks through Zechariah. Here's today, here's another big truth for today. When God broke his silence after 400 years, it was all about Jesus and his redemptive work. After being silent for 400 years, finally after 400 years, God breaks his silence and and he speaks all about Jesus and his redemptive work. And when the Lord opened Zechariah's mouth, breaking his silence after nine months and eight days, you know, the number eight means new beginning. Not saying there's anything there, but that just comes to mind. Zachariah's first words were about Jesus. Jesus, not John, his son, he'd been waiting his whole life for. The message of Christmas is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about the promised Savior. Without Jesus, we wouldn't even be celebrating. We wouldn't have these poinsettias. We wouldn't be wrapping all these gifts that Pastor Bob talked about and baking all these cookies and making all this candy. The message of Christmas is all about Jesus. He fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about the promised Savior. Zechariah's song praises God for his redemption when you read through his song. Let me sum it up. It's a song praising God for his redemption. His salvation, his mercy, his covenant keeping. He's a promise keeper. All brought about through the coming of Jesus. It is a song of salvation. Look at verses 68 and 69. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I'm reminded of Psalms 18. David spoke to the Lord the words to this song on the day God delivered him from the hand of his enemies. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies." The moment the Lord opened Zechariah's mouth, praise to God poured forth from his lips, praising God for Jesus, our Savior, who has delivered us from all of our enemies. We have enemies. In fact, we have three. Sin, death, and Satan. Jesus' mission wasn't the cradle, but the cross. He came to save you from your enemies of sin and death and Satan. 
you could not defeat your enemies. You have no power, no power whatsoever to defeat the enemy of sin, the enemy of death, the enemy of the devil. He came, Jesus came to fight for you, to fight for you. And through his death and resurrection, he defeated your enemies. Every single one of them have been defeated. Can we praise him, church? Now, Zachariah's son, John, who would become John the Baptist, he had a twofold purpose. Number one, he was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Verse 76 says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. His second purpose was to give people knowledge of salvation. Verse 77 says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Forgiveness is connected to salvation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Since sin is defiant rebellion against God, that sin must be forgiven or there is no salvation. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all loved ourselves more. We've all, the word sin means to miss the mark, the bullseye. We've all missed the mark. What is the mark? Well, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed the bullseye. This pastor has missed the mark. This pastor has missed the bullseye. I need a savior. I've loved Pat Medeiros more than I've loved my wife at times. That's sin. I've been selfish. I've missed the mark. Boy, it's quiet. Merry Christmas. You missed the mark. Merry Christmas. For all have sinned. It's good to laugh, but it's serious. This is serious stuff. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would really drive this home. He's the only one that can. John and his ministry will preach about this salvation and forgiveness of sins, but it is Jesus who alone can and will provide you forgiveness and deliverance by his death on the cross and his, and his glorious resurrection three days later. This is why when John first encountered Jesus, he, he leaped. John leaped in his mother's womb. Luke one forty one says, and when it, when it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, remember Mary went and visited her relative Elizabeth, and, and when she greeted her, um, the babe leaped in her womb the babe leaped in her womb and she was filled with the Holy Spirit the scripture says this also explains why John when he saw Jesus later in his life he exclaimed in John 1 29 behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world John's mission was clear he came to prepare the way by calling Israel to repentance in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 we read the words of his message Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That word means to turn 180 degrees. Turn from self-living, from serving self, to serving God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Boy, repentance is daily. When I think about my life, repentance is daily. We have a gracious God. His mercies are new every morning. Can someone say amen? Amen. In conclusion, you are included. You, the person next to you, you are included in the story of Christmas. Incredible? You're in the greatest book, the best-selling book of all time. You're in it. Did you know that? You're in it? You're in the the best-selling book of all time. You're in the Bible. God has a purpose for you. You are included in the story of Christmas. He has.
has a purpose for you, just like he did for Zechariah and Elizabeth, just like he did for the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, Jesus and John the Baptist. God has a purpose for you. Your life has meaning. Your life has value. Heaven's value. And when we understand the ransom price that was paid to save you and me, we can't even begin to understand the value God places on his creation, on you. You're in the Christmas story. You're in the Bible. Look at verses 74 and 75. This is your purpose. To grant us the song of Zechariah. Beautiful song. He sings. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. How many here have been delivered by the hand of your enemies? Might serve him without fear. And holiness in righteousness before him all the days of our life. Is this where this Christmas season finds you? Serving the Lord without fear? Zechariah was living in a very oppressive time. His people fearful and afraid is this where you find yourself this Christmas this season of Christmas serving the Lord without fear serving the Lord in holiness serving the Lord in righteousness serving the Lord in all your days is this where you find yourself in this season of Christmas Zechariah's song of praise sprung forth from a heart full of faith in the promise of God. Spoken through the prophets and fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Even when we doubt, God remembers. And God keeps his promises. Even when we doubt. Even when we don't believe. Oh man, buckets of grace, buckets of grace, buckets of grace from heaven. The Christmas story tells us that God remembers you and God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. He offers you the greatest gift ever given, the gift of himself. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin... The cost of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you leave the sanctuary today, we have an ornament gift for you. It says faith. For God so loved the world that he gave you. Me. His only son. And he who believes in the son. Shall have. Eternal life. Would you join me standing today. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten what he has promised. He hasn't. God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. And maybe you're in a season of waiting. And in that season of waiting, your your faith has been shattered. It's been weakened. God remembers you. And he keeps his promises. We see this from cover to cover. And nothing reveals these truths more to us than the first coming of Jesus who fulfilled perfectly 
every Old Testament prophecy about himself. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never received the forgiveness that God offers and the gift of eternal life that he offers. Jesus came not to remain a baby in the cradle, but to grow up as a man, to be that perfect lamb sacrifice on the cross, dying for your sin and my sin that we might be forgiven and delivered. You're here today and you've never received by faith God's forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And today, the Holy Spirit has awakened God's amazing love for you deep in your heart. And today, you want to receive his gift by faith. Will you raise your hand? Is there one here today? You can put it up and put it right back down. Is there one here today that would raise their hand? Thank you, sir. Others here today. Others here today. Raising your hand doesn't save you. I just want to make eye contact with you. I want to, I want to bless you with the Bible at the close of the service. I want to encourage you. Others today. Those who have raised their hands, I encourage you just to call out on the name of the Lord. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Church, pray. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is, is moving and, and speaking, revealing the, the, the redeeming love of God. Others today. I invite all of you to call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon his name. Tell him today, I believe. Thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. By faith, I receive your gift of forgiveness, gift of eternal life. Call on his name. Gracious Father in heaven, I thank you for the hands that have gone up. You've seen all the hands, God. You you see their hearts right now. Maybe they didn't raise their hands, but they're believing and they're calling on you for the very first time. I thank you. You, you. you declare in your word that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we rejoice with these today who by faith receive your gift of salvation. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice with all the angels in heaven. We rejoice. We praise your name. You are worthy, worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised.